0: Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, July 12th, we're studying Psalm 55. In today's text, King David prays for the Lord's help in the midst of his anguish at an attack, not simply from any old enemy, but from one who had been his close friend. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us, returning guest, Pastor Jeffrey Reese. Pastor Reese serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Pastor Reese, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks, it's great to be back. So we get started today, Pastor, talk to us just in general about the Psalms. What should we know as we approach the book of Psalms in terms of the type of literature it is and and ways that we should read them as Christians?
1: Well, it's uh, literature-wise, the Psalms are poetry. Um, But more specifically, the Psalms are prayers. Um, They are written by a variety of different authors, David being one of the most prominent among them, and he is noted as the author of this one. Um... But they are prayers of, of all sorts there's there's prayers of praise and thanksgiving there's prayers of lament um there's there's prayers of uh uh you know what we call the imprecatory psalms uh which uh 55 counts in that category which actually in in part of of that they they call down curses uh, upon uh the writer's enemies or israel's enemies depending on the situation um, this psalm, and I'll talk about why, is is uh, very individual. Uh, it's, it's more David speaking for himself than speaking for Israel, even though you can't completely take Israel out, obviously. Um, but yeah, they're, they're prayers of all kinds, and that's what one of the wonderful things about the psalms is when we are struggling with something and we don't know the words uh, to speak to God in our prayers, uh, the psalms can be a wonderful help, which is why it's really good that we are encouraged to uh, study the Psalms, read the Psalms on a regular basis, because the more we know the words of the prayers of Israel, um, the, the, the more words we have for our own prayers. Absolutely,
0: yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that Psalm 55 is often classified as an imprecatory psalm, and we've heard that term before, although we have not, in the ones that we've selected for study here on Sharper Iron, we haven't really studied one. In depth, so talk to us about what an imprecatory psalm is, some of the features, and the way that we approach them as Christians. Because sometimes the imprecatory psalms catch us a little bit off guard. I think as we read them today.
1: <laughs> yeah, indeed, and and this is probably the least severe of the imprecatory psalms. Uh, the there's about I think about a dozen of them, if I remember right, and I uh, uh, I didn't actually think to make a list of of which ones they are, but. Uh, th- there are some that are really, really harsh, in, in, uh, and I won't go into detail at, at this point, because we want to move into this psalm, this psalm but it, the, an, imprec- an imprecation is a curse. And so an imprecatory psalm, at least in part, in, in part of its st- structure, is actually calling down curses upon Israel's enemies. Or in this case, David's calling down curses upon his personal enemies. Hmm.
0: Okay, so that's that's what an imprecatory psalm is. That's what an imprecation is. How is that okay for Christians to pray?
1: Well, um, you know, that's the that's an interesting uh, thought. I mean, in one sense, we are to pray for our enemies, and when Jesus said that, He didn't mean (laughs) pray for their demise. Uh, He meant pray for their souls. You know, pray for their hearts to be turned. That sort of that sort of thing, Um, but. What I like to tell people, and I, I guess I haven't really had to address this with anyone in 16, almost 17 years in the pastoral ministry, but when, you know, I've, I've been to many bedsides of people who say, Pastor, I just wish God would take me. I wish I could die. And uh, because they're suffering in many and various ways. And, and I always tell them that is perfectly okay to pray to God to take you. It's just not okay to do it yourself. You know, it's it's we need to let the Lord make the decision on the number of our days. And I, I think that you could say something similar here. It, it, anger towards someone who has hurt you or is in the pr- midst of hurting you, uh, anger in the midst of someone who has betrayed you, which is part of David's lament in this psalm, is understandable. And praying to God to punish evildoers is not inappropriate. It's, it's inappropriate for us to punish evildoers outside of, of God-given authority. Yeah. Um, I don't get to just decide if my neighbor uh, assaults me. Um, I, other than just defending myself from the immediate assault, I don't get to go take revenge on him. That's not my place. Uh, but I could pray for the Lord to hold my enemy accountable. I could even, I guess, if I was angry, I might even pray for the Lord to bring harm to my enemy. Uh, that's not really probably the way I would hope to respond, but um, we do see a model of it here.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a really important thing when it comes to the impregatory Psalms, is that rather than the psalmist doing those things himself, he puts it into the Lord's hands, knowing right. who the Lord is, as the one who does hate evil. I mean, we've, we read mm-hmm. Psalm 5 earlier in this series, and Psalm 5 is very explicit that the Lord hates wickedness. The Lord hates evildoers. And knowing that about the Mm. Lord, to pray for him to do something about it is entirely appropriate. And Mm -hmm. it ends up, as you said, it takes it out of our hands and puts it into the Lord's, which is where that Mm. belongs.
1: Right. And sometimes just expressing, calling down curses, asking God to do something, you know, to our enemy, befitting what our enemy has done to us, it is simply an expression of our anger or our outrage over what's happening to us.
0: Now, you mentioned that Psalm 55 has a very personal nature. We see something within David's life. He talks about a, a betrayal. Within the superscription of Psalm 55, it's written to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's called a maskil of David. There's not anything particularly identified from David's life in the superscription. Is there any historical background from Sol- for Psalm 55 that we should be aware of?
1: Well, the most common belief is that David was writing this in the midst of Absalom's rebellion. Uh, we recorded in Second Samuel fifteen to eighteen, um, and in the context of that, and we're gonna we're gonna read about uh, the betrayal of a friend in here, um, and that friend is presumed to have been, um, I, I I always have a hard time pronouncing his name Ahithophel. Um, <laughs> he was David's most trusted counselor. At the time, and he ended up aiding Absalom's rebellion, and it absolutely just destroyed David. It was um, not 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 literally, but just it, it tore his heart out that his his most trusted counselor uh, actually didn't you know didn't just rebel against him, but actually pretended to be his continue to be his trusted counselor while he was secretly aiding Absalom. And that's, that's the belief. There, there, are, there are certainly aspects of that uh, narrative that lend themselves to it. However, the, the level of curses that David calls down on his enemies, and if the enemy is presumed to be Absalom, uh, it doesn't fit with, with a lot of what David says of Absalom, because David absolutely does not want Absalom uh, to be destroyed. And so we don't know if maybe, maybe, maybe this is about Absalom, and this is just a case of you know, how we can get, when we get angry with someone who has hurt us or is hurting us, uh, we, we express sometimes, even hyperbolically, what we would like happen, to happen to them. Um, this could be that, a case of that, that David, David's calling down this curse upon Absalom, uh, but in the end, still, his heart's desire is that Absalom would, you know, would repent. Uh, and, and be spared, but the, the the long and the short of it is we don't really we can't say for sure, but it, it it's not uh, it's not out of question out of the question that this could be about Absalom and Ahithophel. Right, right, and I mean
0: with David's life being king, there were a number of enemies that he had, and certainly plenty of people that could have betrayed him as a close friend. What mm-hmm. he what he describes is a, a common human experience, I think. Maybe not to the level that David has it here, but to to have one that you trust, and then to that trust being broken, is something that, that we all experience in one way or another, I think. And so whether or not we can identify it particularly historically, those are some options, but I think mm-hmm. we, it's still one we can we can relate to, and we can certainly see happening some at some point in David's life, whether or not that's recorded for us elsewhere in Holy Scripture. Mm-hmm. So... Let's go ahead and take a look at this text. Again, this is Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, O that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in the wilderness, I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst, oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let us d- let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. That's our text for today. That is Psalm 55. Pastor Reese, it's a a pretty long psalm. How would you how would you structure this? What what are the the sections the stanzas that you see within the psalm? Well, I've
1: seen um, a couple of different ways to structure this. Uh, at, at least the the interesting thing about this psalm in terms of its form is a, l- a lot of exegetes question that this was actually one unified composition. There, there are a number who argue that this was actually um, drawn from a number of different uh, writings. Uh, uh, and 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 put together. Uh, but I actually I actually think that that the the whole point of the um, uh, the differing motifs in this th- th- there's not one common theme here. there's a whole bunch of of uh, very ab- abrupt and uh, not random. Uh, but it's just a, a very abrupt variance here, because you have uh, uh, most Psalms, and you have this kind of common theme that you th- read throughout. And this is more almost like uh, just a bursting forth of emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, you have lament, and you have self-pity. You have this expression of a desire to flee. You have fear of enemies. You have betrayal by a personal friend. Um, you have the imprec- imprecations. Um, and then you have the confidence in the saving God. You have uh, all, all of these things are going re- Regret over falsehood by the presumed friend. Um, death wished against enemies. All, all of this stuff is going on in it. And it it's doesn't flow like most of the Psalms do. And so that's led some to believe that. But I actually, if you've ever struggled with uh, a time when life was just overwhelming, and, you know, uh, some people struggle with anxiety, uh, for instance. And, and oftentimes, you have something that's making you anxious, or, or you just have a whole bunch of stuff happening that's kind of causing anxiety. And then one particular thing just really hits you. And in, in addition to lamenting or struggling over that one particular thing, all the other stuff starts to boil up too. Mm. And so you can have this, and that's kind of what anxiety is, is it's this kind of Bursting forth of a whole variety of emotions and thoughts and feelings, uh, with which you're struggling with at the same time, and uh, for that reason, I actually find Psalm 55 in this form very, very helpful. In fact, when I'm talking with someone who is struggling with such things,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about the Psalms, as you hinted at earlier when we were talking about the Psalms in general, that they do give voice to things that we we are feeling, experiences that we do have, and Psalm 55, I think, definitely fits into that. So let's let's just jump in then to this text. Mm. Let's start with the first maybe three verses. David says give ear to my prayer, O God, hide not yourself from my plea for mercy attend to me and answer me I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy because of the oppression of the wicked for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Help us into those first three verses.
1: sure and this is a very, very common way for a psalm to start you can see it in psalm uh, 6 you can see it in psalm 32 a number of other uh, of the psalms of lament start this way lord please hear me hear my prayer um in fact that's often the way we respond in the prayers of the church in the divine service lord in your mercy hear our prayer and that's yeah. essentially what this is saying um and then he's talking about just a general struggle i'm restless in my complaint and i moan um, and then the, the, you know, verse three is, uh, why the, why of it because of the noise. And again, in a general sense, the noise of the enemy, the oppression of the wicked, um, trouble is being dropped upon me. Uh, there's an angry grudge being born against me. Um, so, so it's, it starts off with that plea to, to, for the Lord to listen. And then a very general expression of the reason, hmm.
0: Okay, so a lot of things that we've encountered before in the Psalter already, but we do get the sense for what David is starting to go through already. He needs the Lord's help. He doesn't want the Lord to hide from him because there is an enemy who is troubling him in one way or another. How does the psalm then continue? What does David begin to do in verses four and five?
1: Well, he starts to unpack a little in a little bit more detail the The what it means that he's restless in his complaint. Um, you know, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Another translation of that is, my heart within me is sore pained, and upon me fall the terrors of death. and the the verb for uh, uh, sore pained or anguish that's being used there in Hebrew is um, heal or heal actually I, I that's a really hard one to pronounce um and it, it's a it's a ver it's the same verb used to describe the writhing pain of childbirth hmm. that's that's how deep his heart is anguishing here um he is he is in peril um because his life is in jeopardy as we're going to find as things unpack um and all of this is weighing his heart very very deeply hmm. um I was also noting the comparisons. Thanks to one commentary that I actually uh, glanced over uh, the other day, I was I, I was brought w- my attention was brought to the fact that there are a lot of comparisons to be made with the anguish that Jeremiah suffers. Hmm. Um, Jeremiah four nineteen, he talks about his anguish and his writhing in pain, and it's the same verb again that that writhing uh, uh, in pain, um, and uh, and it, it references his heart and so forth. Hmm. Um, fear and trembling in verse 5 come upon me. Horror overwhelms me um, to the point where you, when you get to, uh, to verse 6, uh, what is his desire? You know, his desire is just to get away, to flee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wants to escape this predicament. And that's another thing that we can all identify with. I mean, when we are struggling with deep anguish or anxiety, you just want it to stop. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The comparison to, to Jeremiah is, I, I find it intriguing simply because I know that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Mm-hmm. He, he talks like this regularly in his right. book. And he also, and I forget exactly where it is in the book of Jeremiah, maybe in more than one place, but he too talks about the way that even people who were close to him, people from his own hometown, they're the ones that turn on him. So it's it's striking to see that same language from Jeremiah maybe, maybe right. Jeremiah is picking up Psalm 55 and, and echoing some of that own language uh, since he writes later that, that's just intriguing yeah. to me
1: yeah it, it make it does make me wonder as well and the, but there's a number of places where you can draw lines of comparison uh, with Jeremiah and I may bring some more of those up as we go along. sure okay so so from this then
0: David he's calling out to God, in his great anguish, in this, this terror of death, the fear and trembling, he wants the Lord to do something. And, and he, he expresses this desire in verses 6 and following that, that he could just run away from it all. Talk more about how, how
1: he develops that in verses 6 through 8. Um, well, this is just, I mean, and that's the, that's the interesting thing. Is we, you see this buildup, this, he expresses the depth of the anguish in his heart uh, and the terror of death that is just weighing him down so heavily, uh, and, and who doesn't want to get out from under such a weight? And so, you know, oh, that I had wings like a dove. So he's, you know, what is a dove? A dove is a very light, uh, bird of flight, you know, and, and, uh, doves can travel long distances. Um, so I would fly away and be at rest, you know? Um, He wants to flee, but apparently he can't. Hmm. Um, In fact, uh, Jerome, I believe in some of his writings, notes that this verse was part of an early Christian prayer uh, back in his day. Um, So this was a verse that resonated with with people in the early church. Hmm. Um, Oh, that I had wings like a dove uh was uh I, I i'm trying to remember I, I found it but i don't remember what the reference was anymore uh but jerome actually notes this this being a common prayer in his day
0: hmm. um, yeah, the, the, well just to, to think a little bit about this this thought of, of fleeing or, or running away on the one hand it, it might strike us again is a bit odd you know should we should we as christians run away from from our troubles or from persecutions mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord calls us to endure in a number of places, right. and and yet at the same time there are verses within the the Gospels. I'm, I'm thinking of recently in in worship we've been hearing from the Gospel of Matthew in the three year lectionary and in the in the missionary discourse in Matthew chapter ten. At least at one point Jesus tells his disciples if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next.
1: Mm-hmm. So this
0: you know this running away is also within it. I
1: mm-hmm. guess
0: it's just an interesting thing to think about because sometimes it, it seems like we always have the perception, I need to just stand here steadfastly, and and yet there is this desire for the, the trouble to be gone. Both of those things go together. And to hear that this was a prayer used in the early church when they were facing persecution far worse than what most of us experience mm. today is, is also striking.
1: Sure. Well, and again, we, he, he says, I would, you know, oh, that I had wings like a dove, oh, that I could flee. Um, but he doesn't. Right, um, And so there's a, there's a sense of praying for the Lord to allow that to happen. And then there are times when it's appropriate to flee. Um, and, and like Jesus says, flee to the next town. Paul, how many times was Paul snuck out of one town or the other uh, to avoid uh, death? So we're not, you know, and we are called, of course, when we're cornered, when we have no choice but either recant our faith in Christ or die, we're called to choose death, but only if we're cornered. There's nothing saying we can't flee persecution or flee oppression. Um, at the same time, why why might David not have fled? Well, he had responsibilities. He was king. He had people there he was supposed to be caring for and overseeing. Um, and that may very well be what kept him there. Uh, and so we, we all have vocations. And sometimes our vocations do not allow us to flee a particular situation, even though we would like to hmm. right so right. like yeah. if we have a if we have a, a wayward son or daughter in our lives and many of us do uh you know we we might we might do, you know it might be the easiest thing to say well why don't i just cut them out of my life uh because it, it will just be simpler that way and yet we have as parents we have a responsibility to their care which which obviously means to admonish them and bring the word of god to bear in whatever way they've they've gone astray um but that's so painful uh for a parent uh at times it can seem like the easier thing to do would just be to you know to push and that's kind of interesting because we're talking about potentially david and his son absalom here and and i can see where david's desire would be just to completely cut absalom off uh yeah. and, and and yet he cares for absalom and so forth and we you can see that in second samuel as well
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. To see the the wrestling that David does with the desire for the refuge, for the rest, for the for the peace that God promises to His people, he he wants that, and the desire to run away to to have a refuge from it. All the while, yeah. recognizing that God has called him to this spot to do these things, and I, I think you know one of the just wonderful things, and it's so simple, is that he he prays about it. You know, he doesn't just sort of wrestle with this on his own, but he takes this right. To the Lord and calls upon yeah. him in in this difficulty that he's facing
1: right and and, and note the in in seven, you know as he's continuing to talk about the desire to flee, uh, yes, I would wander far away, and I would lodge in the wilderness. now the wilderness is not a safe place to be hmm. and yet he is in such peril that he would he would rather take his chances in the wild
0: hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That this is this is the the anguish that he's feeling which he's expressed already and now is is being made manifest in the, where he's looking for this rest. But he also knows that the rest comes from somewhere else. That's where this prayer is going to continue to take us. We're going to keep looking at Psalm 55. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Jeffrey Reese this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, July 12th. We're studying Psalm 55 with Pastor Jeffrey Reese this morning. He serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Pastor Reese, prior to the break, we made it up through verse 8. David has expressed his desire to flee from the danger that he is facing, even into the wilderness. That seems like a better refuge than the danger he faces from his enemy. It is in verse 9, then, that we start to encounter this imprecatory nature of this psalm. David says there, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Talk to us about the imprecation that begins to be offered there and, and why David is praying it at this point.
1: Well, again, Absalom is causing all kinds of trouble in this rebellion that he's fomenting. Uh, and it's causing strife even in the city, presumably Jerusalem, which is where David would be. Um, And interesting to see two things going on in that text. You see the destroy, the word destroy, and then you see the request to divide their tongues, which calls to mind Genesis 11 and the tower at Babel, and the, the fact that God essentially divided their tongues. You know, he confused their language so that they could not cooperate. So David is asking for that same kind of curse to be brought down upon Absalom and his allies, that they would be confused in such a way that they could not cooperate against David. Um, and then long the word destroy, that's a very severe word. And we were talking earlier about the, you know, what does it mean that, that the, some of the Psalms actually, uh, basically pray God to do violence against our enemies. Um, and it's, one, one thing I didn't bring up there uh, is that remember the psalmists are among God's chosen people, among his Israel, his, you know, his beloved, um, the descendants of Abraham. And remember, he promised Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's right there in the middle of that, you and all of, all of your family being blessed, is that him who dishonors you, I will curse. And so there's an aspect of the Psalms when they call for the destruction or curses upon enemies, they are, they're calling God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. So talk about what David sees within the city. He's prayed, destroy,
0: divide their tongues. In verses, the rest of verse 9 and into verse 11, talk about what he's seeing and that's giving him reason to pray in this way.
1: He's, he's seeing Absalom gather allies against David as a as a means to usurp uh, the throne, to overtake David and, and take the throne away from him, uh, which is, is not... Uh, a proper, because David is the rightful king of Israel.
0: Hmm. So I mean, I think the connection then to David being the rightful king of Israel, and also the connection to the promise given to Abraham, does give a a greater context to this prayer, that David's not just being vengeful for the sake of being vengeful, but he is calling upon God to to keep his promise that he's made, and both of those promises, particularly the one made to Abraham and the one made to David, ultimately find their fulfillment in Christ, so yes. that, again, this isn't just a personal vendetta on David's part, although he certainly does feel very personal anguish at, at, what, at what has happened, but it's not just a, a matter of, get them like they got me, mm-hmm. but there's, there's more going on here in terms of God keeping his promise, which ultimately is fulfilled when he sends the Savior into the world.
1: Right, and part of, the, part of David's lament here, and, and part of the lament you see in a number of the, of, of the psalms where curses are called down upon enemies or destruction is asked of enemies, is that Israel understood that any of their enemies would automatically also be God's enemies. And, and so there's, there's understandable confusion as to why God is allowing his enemies to, pe- to seemingly prevail. Um, and of course that's where the, the promise Messiah really comes into play here and and where we can really identify because we can ask the same questions. Why is the Lord allowing this, that, or the other suffering to come upon me or to come upon my loved one? Um, and we always make the mistake when we try to explain God, uh, and, and, and the Psalms, one of the wonderful things about the Psalms is they don't try to explain or defend God. They simply complain against Him uh, because He is the one to whom they can complain, uh, and then they, they trust in Him. And, and for us, then, when we have someone who is, or we ourselves, are struggling with something like this, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Why is God hap- allowing this to happen to someone I love, we're, our, our best place to go is is the cross is to Christ and 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 see that all of this is overcome in him and that the resurrection is coming.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's very well said. So David has has called out first now for destroy divide their tongues so you see a more corporate nature of what's going on in mm-hmm. verses 9 through 11. But then in verses 12 and following, it becomes a lot more personal, and he begins to identify one person in particular, it seems. And this is where you start to see the depth of the hurt and the, the betrayal that's happened. Take us into to verses 12 sure, and following. Sure.
1: Yeah, the, the corporate stuff is all Absalom and all of his allies that are aligned against David. As I said, this is a very personal psalm because David is the one all this is happening to. Uh, but a- Absalom is, 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 is joined by many others. And then, but then here it becomes extra personal. Uh, and, and, and you're right, it does get reduced down to one individual who has now joined Absalom's cause. If, if in, in fact, we're talking about Absalom. But, uh, but a betrayal, not just... Not just I mean, if, you're already, if, if someone's already your enemy, they can't betray you. Um, but this is duplicity here. This is, um, this is a de- deceitful betrayal. He he is someone who is supposed to be David's trusted friend and counselor, and he is you know still pretending to be that while all the while, and David has learned, uh, has been against him. Yeah, I mean the the duplicity is
0: definitely something that comes up here, and then later in this psalm as David speaks about this this one in particular, mm-hmm. and, and you 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 feel the the betrayal with David here. It's you know it's not someone who I knew I couldn't count on. It's someone who I thought I could count on. It's it's not someone who was who was obviously my enemy. It's someone who is pretending to be
1: my friend. Right. It, and that's verse 12 you know it's not an enemy that taunts me that i could bear you know we, we're all we're all kind of used to ha- you know everybody has some sort of enemy and and it doesn't usually bother us because we're used to the fact that okay they're our enemy that's just the way it is but this was a friend who is you know, pretending to you know to be my still pretending to be my friend uh and then that's where verse 13 it is you a man my equal my companion my familiar friend and then in 14, it kind it, of it talks about it, it. It reminisces about what a wonderful relationship they had. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Um, there was a close fellowship with this person. And, and, and that, that relationship is broken. And the, the, the more the closer the relationship, the more anguish comes when the relationship is broken.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you you see that affecting David here very clearly in these verses. I've I've looked at these verses and seen a picture of what happens with Jesus and Judas as well. What do you think?
1: Well, yeah, and in fact, that's a good. There is a good comparison here with with Christ and and with uh, um, uh, the with with uh, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke in particular, where it talks about the betrayer. Um, uh, I'll have to add a specific note on that, but at any rate, it's uh, yeah, what you said. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Well,
0: no, that, that's okay. And one of the things that I, I'm not sure when I when I first thought about this, but just you know, when you hear it from David's perspective and you you feel his feel his pain with him at the betrayal, then to know that that Jesus, who is true God to be sure, but is also fully man he felt that same pain of betrayal. I mean, you right. know, like he, he had that full human experience of what it means to have someone that was supposed to be one yes. of his 12 closest friends absolutely turn upon him. Right. I mean, the Lord knows fully what we go through when we experience betrayal like this.
1: Exactly. And that, and that's, you know, we, we call Jesus a man of sorrows because of Isaiah 53. Uh, and, and, of course we talked about jeremiah being the the weeping prophet and here we see david experiencing sorrow much like uh jeremiah would suffer and much like uh jesus would suffer um and and it's at a betrayal not just not just enemies against him i mean jesus of course had enemies throughout the gospel but uh but judas was supposed to be his friend was one of the 12 one of his dis- well, one of his closest disciples um, and, and th- that's a whole different, uh, as I said, when it's a friend that betrays you, it, it hurts infinitely more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and a Christian friend at that, you know, v- verse 14, mm-hmm. that reminiscing of, of those good times. Well, those good times weren't just anywhere. They were actually within God's house. These, mm-hmm. these are two people that worshiped together. And you think about the, again, not, not just the betrayal of, of a close friend or a family member, but even one with whom I have shared the Lord's body and blood at the altar, to be betrayed by one." Yeah. I mean, that, that cuts deep. I, I think of, of some of the ways that St. Paul writes, I think is it, is it in Second Timothy especially, where he urges Timothy not to be ashamed of him, you know, and, and thinking of how much that would have hurt Paul to have someone like Timothy betray him, you know, those connections that we have within the Church are, are so close, because we share the body and blood of Christ, we are united within within Christ. And to have those broken again is is a deep pain one that our lord knows and, and one that he then helps us through
1: mm-hmm. and peter himself uh brings this out in his first letter in chapter five in particular when he calls you know he calls us to you know cast our burdens upon the lord right. um there's a a, a a connection there and P- and peter being another one who yeah. betrayed jesus who who denied Jesus, and of course, all all of the twelve did ultimately.
0: Yeah, that's right. They all they all fled on that on that night. Now, mm-hmm. in so we have the the betrayal, the the great hurt that has been brought upon David in verses twelve and fourteen, and we have another imprecation there in in verse fifteen. And this one feels a lot stronger than what we read in verse nine. Mm-hmm. Here, David says, "Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is their dwelling is in their dwelling place and in their heart." Mm.
1: Right, and this is where uh, the uh, the imprecation really ramps up, and obviously because it comes on the heels of verses twelve through fourteen, it's not just about his the enemies he's been he's had, but this also includes this former friend, this this former companion, um, and he he wants he wants them to, to go down to Sheol alive. In other words, he wants the earth just to swallow them up right now. Just like the sons of Korah in number 16. Yeah, yeah.
0: So again, I mean, a, a prayer that may shock us a little bit, but a prayer that is based upon who God is, what yes. he's done in the past, and expecting God to you know, be who he says he is, the righteous, the just one, the one who, who upholds what is good and punishes what is evil. That's where this prayer is based on. And again, as we said before, I, I think we always want to keep in mind this is... The psalmist, this is David. Whenever we read these, placing it into the Lord's hands, and and being content to leave it there rather than taking it into his own hands.
1: Right, exactly. He's calling for the Lord to do something about this, much like we might call on someone in authority to do something on our behalf, and then the the person in authority, whether it's our parents or you know a police officer, a judge, or whatever, um, they get to make the. God willing, more rational and reasoned decision.
0: So then, in verse sixteen, you have one of those. Uh, it seems to be an abrupt shift, but I do think, as you were saying earlier, these things do go together. So mm-hmm. now David comes back. I call to God; He will save me. I mean, there's that right. You know, he, there's the confidence that the
1: Lord will deliver. Well, and and how often have we been in a situation where again we're we're struggling with anxiety, we're angry, we're feeling uh, crushed by something. Um, and we, we, on one hand, we're questioning, why is this happening to me? Why is the Lord letting this happen to me? I don't understand it. And yet we can also still say, I know that the Lord loves me. I know his mercy is mine, um, even as I, I struggle with this, which is what Paul meant when he said, we do not grieve as others do who have no hope. Hmm. Um, and even and this kind of even connects better with the First Peter 5, 7 a verse that I brought up earlier. Um, you know, verse 16 here, I call to God and the Lord will save me. And what does Peter admonish the congregation he's writing to? Cast your burden on the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And and so
0: David here, he's casting his burden on the Lord at, at all mm-hmm. times, evening, morning, and noon, he says exactly. in verse 17. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and evening, morning, um, these are the typical hours of sacrifice at the tabernacle. Um the the evening is the beginning of the new day um uh the prophet daniel offered prayer uh three times each day from the you know we're we're told um always entrusting his life to god's care so that's all of that can be unpacked from here that yes david is angry yes david is praying for the lord to to just bring down his might uh and his wrath against david's enemies um but he is, he is he's doing this all in an appropriate way, praying to the Lord and, and giving the Lord his complaint and letting the Lord decide how best to proceed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. trusting that the Lord hears him. He says, he hears my voice. Trusting the Lord's hearing his complaint. He knows he doesn't have any control over how the Lord's gonna deal with this. Um, but he trusts that the Lord will do what is right. The Lord will save me. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So he redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Mm -hmm. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. We're going to start getting back a little bit more to that imprecation, but help us keep moving in this psalm.
1: Right. Um, Well, again, he's he's building on that, why he trusts in God. God redeems his soul. Uh, God keeps him safe, even from this battle that he's waging, even though it seems like everything's falling apart around him uh you know early in earlier verse he talked about it being like being in the middle of a tempest uh but here here he's he's starting to express trust in god and his attributes that he's a protector um that he's a, a, a redeemer um and so many are waged against me but the lord's got my back and then in 19 uh god will give ear and humble them. He trusts that the Lord is going to, to do to them what they deserve to have done to them. Why? Um, because they're not changing in their ways and they are godless, yeah. which is what do not fear God means. They are, they are godless. They are, in other words, they are wicked. That is all that wicked means in the New Testament is, uh, or excuse me, the Old Testament is unbeliever, someone who does not fear God. They, a right. wicked and, person might be a nice person in, in terms of their, to their neighbor, but if they do not fear God, then they are wicked.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and that do not fearing God then often tends toward wickedness more, more obviously seen, which I, I do think, you know, that comes up in this Psalm. We looked at Psalm 14 previously during the month of July here on Sharper Iron, <laughs> And, you know, those who who are foolish, they say there is no God, and they tend toward the actual wickedness as well. It's striking there in verse 19 the way that I think you have the, you know, David talks about those who do not fear God, they do not change. Mm -hmm. Well, they're opposed to the one who's enthroned from of old. So on the one hand, you've got God who's Mm -hmm. always been king, and here you've got those who think that they can stick in their ways of never fearing God Mm -hmm. in the, you know, who wins that battle? well, the Lord will win that battle. And there's David's right. confidence for praying.
1: And this, this, this goes directly to Christ and his enemies uh, in the, the Pharisees and the scribes and so forth. Uh, what, what does Christ spend most of his time talking to them about? The fact that they don't actually know Yahweh. Uh, they do not know Torah the way they claim to. And the proof of that is because they don't know who Jesus is. They they do not they do not fear God because if they did they would know the Messiah when he was standing in front of them. Yeah. And, and and yet and, and and of course it's it's Jesus who who speaks the words of Psalm 22. You know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So there's even an expression of this kind of confusion that David's expressing there, and yet Jesus knows exactly what's happening and why. He knows on that cross he's entering into his glory and redeeming us. Hmm.
0: Now as, as David speaks about those who do not change and do not fear God, it seems that that prompts him to speak more about what his former companion has done in verses 20 mm-hmm. and 21. What else do we find out about the betrayal that David's received?
1: Yeah, he, he's starting now to express proof of, of this, not, this do not fear God, this, this uh, not changing uh, godlessness, that he stretched out his hand against his friends, he violated his covenant. You don't violate covenants uh, in the Old Testament. You d- you did not do that and live. Um, and uh, and and then in verse twenty one, the description here is remarkable. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So this, you know, we we've all maybe, we all maybe know people like that. Um, you. Who behave in very, you know, as if they are a friend, uh, and in fact, uh, sometimes the ones who uh, appear to be the closest friends are the ones to watch out for. You know, the old, there's an old saying, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Right. Um, but uh, it, it's uh, there. There's a uh, this this duplicity is really brought out in in, in verse 21 there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and again,
0: something that I th- I think we've we may have experienced when it comes to betrayal, the words sounded great, but behind mm-hmm. them was was nothing but, but you know, hostility toward us. So then, then in verse twenty-two, we come to those those wonderful words that I think Peter is referencing, is mm-hmm. as, as you said, mm-hmm. cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the right just to be moved.
1: Yeah, and this is a really common theme. Uh, in the psalms, in fact, uh, one of my favorites, Psalm 72, uh, is a, a psalm of Asaph, where he is struggling with the fact that the the wicked seem to be prospering, and, and yet he is always suffering. And, um, and then by the end of that psalm, the same thing kind of happens. He, he, he starts to realize, uh, and I, I think I remember right, the turning point version that psalm is, until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood. Um, and so here that David is, is expressing an understanding that even though he is deeply frustrated in, in this deep anguish, um, he still knows that God is there for him. Uh, and so he still calls, uh, he's, he's speaking to himself, uh, as much as anybody. And, and yet he's calling us to cast our burden upon the Lord, trusting that the Lord is going to be the sustainer. But the Lord will never permit the righteous to be moved. He, he's always going to be there for us. He, he's made this covenant with us, and he will not break it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah what, an, what an absolutely wonderful promise there in the middle of, of Psalm 55 that David relies on here as he has been betrayed so deeply. Take us in, into the last verse. D- more, more imprecation, but also more trust.
1: Yeah, and it's not so much imprecation here. I mean, it kind of is, but this isn't an asking God to do something. This is just trusting that God will do this because he's promised to, that that promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and other places throughout Scripture leading up to the time of David. Uh, He knows that the wicked, the godless, will be cast down to the pit of destruction, Um, that men of blood and treachery, as he puts it, will not live out half their days. Well, what what does that mean? I mean, what, what does God create us to be? He creates us to be eternal beings. So only the godless have an expiration date. You know, um, we, we, we know of course in Christ that, and David was in under that promise also, uh, we know that in Christ, our death is, is not, uh, the end for us. It's, it's simply, as I sometimes put it with my congregation, they're transfer into the church triumphant, um, communicant transfer into the church triumphant. Um, and so the, this is it. This is not so much an imprecation here as it is an expression that God will deal with his enemies, you know, just as he has promised. Uh, and those who are, who are godless will, will receive their, their due uh, in God's time. And so that's the last word, I will trust in you. And Jeremiah even, we were talking about kind of comparing Jeremiah, and there's lots of places we could do that. But Jeremiah um, chapter 17, verse 13 was one that I jotted down um, as I was looking at this. Even Jeremiah expressed that same trust, despite all of his English. He says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so the one who is enthroned from of old remains enthroned to to all days, and so those who find their refuge in him, they live with him forever. Those who do not, as you said, they shall not live out half their days, as David expresses that confidence in the Lord. About a Mm -hmm. minute left here, Pastor Reese, help us to wrap things up on Psalm 55. Give us the the hope, the good news that is ours, even in the midst of, of this betrayal that we see David experiencing?
1: Well, this is again like much of Scripture, you know, smaller portions of Scripture are essentially microcosms of the greater narrative. And so we see the, this, uh, first of all, we see in David's turmoil this almost roller coaster, this uh, expression of lament, this anger uh, and, and wish of, of harm to his enemies, and yet this, this uh, trust. Knowing that the Lord is, has got all this in His hand, and He is merciful, and is going to He's going to to take care of us. Um, you, you see that in the greater narrative of Scripture. Of course, you see that in in, in Christ most especially. Um, but even like uh, several weeks back, when we were talking about uh, Revelation, uh, was it was it chapter fifteen? I think twelve I think. is what you and I talked about. Yeah, it was chapter twelve, and and that that we're unpacking that the the. The dragon who is, is waiting for the woman to give birth so that he can uh, take it away. And of course, the, the child is, is taken up into heaven. And we're talking about that as an expression in a, a very, very semi- summarized way of, the, of, of Christ's uh, incarnation, birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, all happening in that moment. Um, but all of scripture unpacks that, guess what? Life in this world really stinks. And, and there are lots of things that are going to cause us trouble. Uh, and yet we are called to put our trust in the Lord, knowing that he has already overcome all of this for us by his cross and resurrection. Um, and, and all of this will come to pass when he returns. Pastor
0: Jeffrey Reese serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. He has been helping us today to study Psalm 55. Pastor Reese, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. It was great to be here. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This is the promise, the assurance that we have for Jesus Christ is our Savior. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Psalm 55, send an email to kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.